0: Welcome back to Unbroken Arrows podcast. This is episode five, and as always, I'm Catherine.
1: And I'm Greg. Today, our guest is Isaac Rubidoux. Isaac works for the South Dakota Game, Fish and Parks, and is the park manager at Lake Ponset Recreation Area, which is located between Brookings and Watertown, South Dakota. I came across a presentation that Isaac gave at Good Earth State Park, and it was a presentation entitled "Beyond the Hunt." And it was part of the FISH program at Good Earth, which stands for Friendly Interactive Senior Hour. And his title caught my interest. And so welcome to our podcast, Isaac. Thanks for having me. And our goal of Unbroken Arrows Healing Through the Hunt, in part at least, I think goes, includes beyond the hunt, which I take it, I guess, as all parts of hunting and not necessarily just hunting, but the outdoors. It can apply to everything that would be of interest to somebody that wants to get outside and hunt, I guess, pre-planning and the hunt itself or observations that you make before, during and after, uh, all the things that surround being outdoors or being in the hunt. So without actually hearing your actual presentation, Isaac, am I on the right track with at least some of these thoughts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I actually used to intern at Good Earth State Park and as an intern, I, I gave a program that was very similar to that. You know, in and, and Game Fish and Parks, we, we provide a variety of different programs uh, throughout the state, different opportunities. And and one thing that, you know, that keeps me going when I'm out hunting is, is everything but the harvest, right? So whether that be the friends that I get to meet, the family members I get to spend time with, uh, the experiences I have. Um, having an uneasy mind and then getting in the outdoors and having the outdoors kind of reset my mind and how I think about things. Um, You know, I've I've never been the type of person to chase a specific animal or anything like that. You know, from a young age, I remember with no weapon, uh, not old enough to hunt or anything like that, sitting in the deer stand with my dad. And I, I remember vividly seeing the first doe walk by and seeing how close that animal was. And it was just, I'll never forget that moment because it was the, the day I got hooked into uh, hunting. And it wasn't because of the harvest. It was just, watching deer is so fun. I, I carry a, a pair of binoculars in my in my vehicle at all times. Even if there's just a little fawn running out, I'm, I'm looking at that deer and watching it. Um, and, and that's another reason why I'm in the career field that I'm I'm in. You know, I, I started out thinking about what I wanted to do, but one thing that's always been constant in my life is is spending time in the outdoors. And that, that's not exactly hunting or fishing uh, specific, but anything and everything that, uh, outdoor related.
0: So you obviously got your start when you were very young. Do you have any specific like influences or mentors other than you said your dad um, in the deer stand that kind of helped you through the journey of you starting to hunt?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, growing up, uh, my dad was a huge part of that. Um, he kind of taught me, you know, there's there's a variety of different ways to go deer hunting, but he kind of taught me, it, it, you know, take the long long way to do it. You know, don't take any shortcuts because ultimately in the end, the, the time and effort that you put into a hunt or a fishing excursion or anything like that, uh, the joys of success are much greater than uh doing it in an easy way per se so you know i i remember crawling on the in the freezing cold in the grass trying to get close to a deer or or uh fishing, and we're having a really hard day and then we we figure out what they're doing what they're interested in um and and kind of finding that that success through a uh route that you wouldn't think that you would find success so uh, my dad was a huge part i've i've had friends and family that have joined me along in, in the hunt. But I would say, you know, I'm originally from Sioux Falls, and a lot of my friends actually uh, never grew up hunting or fishing. And so I was usually the person taking folks out and doing that kind of thing. And there was a period of time where uh, my dad was not around. And a lot of times I was going out by myself. And it's it's hard to say, you know, that a mentor or an influence could be yourself. But I had such an itch for hunting and fishing that. Um, I I learned a lot of it by myself too so um, and that was you know another part of you know when we talk about the topic of your guys's podcast is my healing was the outdoors for certain things that were going on in my life and and uh, just experiencing stuff by myself
1: so when you would take people out um, did you observe and that's something that I think that uh, from talking with you a little bit and and seeing the outline of your presentation, you're you are an observer. So when you took those people out, did you see any of them having those those times of reflection or those healing moments as well?
2: Um, I think yes and no I think I think sometimes when you're taking someone new out, the only thing they're thinking about is being quiet and uh, excited for what's to come next. You know, I've spent so many, so many days out in the woods where I haven't seen anything and that would become frustrating me for me uh, in some cases. And I've, you know, I'd wonder like, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why am I get, you know, out here freezing and, and not seeing the darn thing. And I still come out and do it over and over again, you know, and there was certain uh, points in my life where, Um, I, I tried figuring things out Whether that, you know, I started at a different college playing college baseball. I, I grew up as a baseball guy and that was my main driver of my life. And when it came time to, you know, start thinking about what was next for my life, it was a hard period of my life because I had no idea what I was going to do professionally or anything like that. And so, um, it, that, those were moments for me, I used the outdoors. So usually when I would take people, it was more of a, uh, entry level beginner, they're looking for a deer or a fish and that's kind of about it and trying to stay quiet or, or whatever it may be. But, you know, an experience I just, I just had uh, this year was, I took my girlfriend out and she had never gone hunting. She's gone hunting a couple times, but it was just out of uh, friends and family, but not into it at all. And we ended up both getting uh, East river rifle tags and I took her out and she struggled. We struggled for two days. And then the third day we found success. And her reaction to the whole thing, uh, she plans on doing it every year now. And it was such an awesome experience for the both of us. And uh, we learned stuff about each other. And uh, and that was an experience. I, I think she was able to get more out of it than just the harvest. So.
0: Those days of challenges, like you said, and struggling make that specific moment when you actually fulfill your take or what you're going after so much better.
2: Absolutely.
1: Sure. One of the traps that I think that I, I want to make people aware of, sometimes the traps we fall into are maybe what we are talking about, give the people an impression that one day we decided to hunt or to really start to take part in outdoor type activities. And if somebody wants to do that, I don't want to give them the impression that, you know, it's one day we weren't doing those kinds of things and the next day we did. It's kind of a progression. If it, mm-hmm. if if you want to hunt, if you want to take part in more outdoor activities, there's some planning. It's required to transition, I guess, to do that. Information yep. gathering. So what types of things... um you know, do you see as potential roadblocks that people would encounter if they wanted to, to start to hunt or get more active in the outdoors?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think the uh, uh, one of the largest ones would be uh, financially. Um, this is, these hunting and fishing can be as big or small as you want it to be, but I would say majority of people, you know, as for comfort, when it comes to the clothing, uh, when it comes to accuracy, such as your um, equipment as for a bow or a rifle, uh, a lot of times the more you spend, the better it is. Um, so financials is, is a huge one. And that's, you know, a lot of folks, if you don't have the stuff or the equipment uh, to have an enjoyable time out there or a successful time out there, a lot of people don't want uh, to get involved with that. You know, another part of it. I I know so many people that that grew up doing it or used to do it in their past lives, such as the outdoors, um, and they've stopped. You know, a lot of it is commitment and priority. A lot, a lot of some of the things we talk about with the game fishing and parks uh, is priorities. You know, what's what's the priority in your life and. I think a lot of times hunting and fishing becomes a uh, less of a priority in people's life. And rightfully so, if you have kids, you got family, large family, you've got kids events and all this stuff going on, you know, uh, it obviously becomes less of a priority, but you know, for me, in my life, it's, it's one of my priorities. I actually haven't gone, obviously haven't been out ice fishing and deer season um, closed here at the end of December. And I, ca- I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to December hunting. I, not really the cold, but I get a little burnt out. So I haven't been outside in a long time, and and hunting or fishing, and I can definitely feel it. So it's definitely a priority in my life, um, you know. And, and there's a variety of different reasons that why folks don't get out and do it. It, it does take a lot of time, um, but that knowing, and that's why I I have have this presentation called Beyond Hunt because if I were just going for the success successes of hunting, um, then I don't know. If I would be as interested in it um, as I am now, still.
0: And you had mentioned the financial aspect. Do you have any like tips, or I guess just things that you would want to tell someone who's wanting to get into it but doesn't want to spend a lot of money?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, when I first started, um, you know, this was a period of time where um, I didn't really have my father helping me out with the financial stuff and. I was working part-time in high school and that kind of thing. And I actually used eBay. Uh, eBay was a big resource for me. And um, the bow I had was not top-notch. Uh, the equipment I had obviously was not top-notch, but I found a way to get out there. Um, it took saving money. It took uh, using other folks' hand-me-downs. Um, and it also I bought my first bow off of eBay. So there's a variety of different ways. And then another... Um, cool thing that the game fish and parks does every year and the outdoor campus in sioux falls does this and i don't know how long they've been doing this but they do a um kind of like a donation trailer where a lot of folks donate old and used hunting equipment clothing um optics that kind of thing and um they provide that for the public and folks can come out and kind of pick what they need for their equipment and all that kind of stuff and that information is on on their uh, Facebook page when they put that out. And you can find that on South Dakota uh, Game Fish and Parks Outdoor Campus, Two Falls, and they have that stuff. So, you know, those are definitely options. And um, another thing, too, is we, a lot of the offices, Watertown, Aberdeen, Two Falls, you name it, uh, they'll put on um, hunting events, and the Game Fish and Parks will provide all the equipment needed to uh, go out hunting and that kind of thing
1: what types of clues are you looking at or listening for in terms of, uh, while you're out hunting, are there, can, a, can squirrels help you out? Can birds help you out? Or are you, are they, can they be the uh, bane of a hunter?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: Um, so
2: yeah, some of the things I talked about in my presentation, uh, during that fish program was, uh, birds and squirrels uh blue jays and i'm no i'm no bird scientist this is just something i've picked up on and i've actually talked to an ornithologist uh about this uh, regarding blue jays um but blue jays a lot of times when you hear them squawking out there and kind of going crazy like they're frustrated at something there is something on on the forest floor that's walking underneath them and so a lot of times they're they're going crazy and, and making a lot of noise. And if I'm sitting out there and I hear a blue jay going, I start paying attention uh, to that specific area. There might be a deer coming. And I've had it many times where I've had a deer come in uh, after listening to a blue jay. Uh, another another bird would be a crow. Uh, the crow, are, you don't really want them going crazy because a lot of times they're, my dad put it one time, they're like the nature's... Uh, Uh, emergency alert system. If you've got a whole crowd of crows uh, con and doing all that kind of stuff, a lot of times there's something that really got them going. So uh, I, I don't like hearing crows Um, squirrels. A lot of times they'll do the same thing, such as a blue Jay, you know, they have predators on the forest floor. So a lot of times they like to announce to other squirrels and that kind of thing that there's something on the forest floor that's walking um, and then, you know, early season for deer, deer hunting, I like to use oak trees. Uh, we all know, a lot of people know that, uh, acorns are a huge food source for, uh, deer in our areas. And, uh, so I always look for oak trees. A lot of times you can really get into the specifics of oak tree species. Uh, there's an acidic level that is different in each acorn for oak species. I'm no expert on it, but I've heard something like that, uh, you know, and of course, always looking for scrapes that uh, bucks like to use. And the scrape is basically, um, they have uh, scent glands in their eyes and as well as on their forehead, So they find a low-hanging branch uh, right on a trail. And so they'll rub that up and then they'll scrape a dirt area on the ground. And then usually they like to leave a scent in that dirt spot as well. So th- I like to look for those because those are travel routes for bucks and and that kind of thing and obviously looking for rubs which is where they use their antlers to rub on trees small trees and branches and and that kind of thing just evidence you know you're basically out there looking for evidence of deer sign and what their travel route is and you know and i hunt here at lake ponce recreation area a lot it's only a 190 acre park and obviously you can't hunt the whole park due to developed uh areas uh where public are usually at um and so I still don't have this place to figure out and I work here and I hunt here and I, I spend a lot of time here. So, you know, hunting is not an easy route. These are just tools I like to use. Um, But there is no sure way of any of these working to be, to create a successful hunt. That's for sure.
1: Sure. You mentioned hunting at Lake Ponset uh, recreation area, and obviously that's a public area. Um, Are there other recreation areas or state parks that, uh, hunters can actually use
2: yes absolutely there's i would say most of our state parks allow hunting uh, but there are regulations on specific parks so you have to use our uh, hunting handbook that we have for south dakota game fishing parks to um, basically figure out which parks you can hunt and you can't hunt and there's also such as lake pons recreation area uh this last uh, spring in 2023, we were able to uh, prohibit rifle hunting. Uh, it's a small park and we've had problems with hikers and hunters. And so that was two stakeholder issue there. And so we've had to uh, eliminate that as an option in our uh, recreation here at Lake Ponce Recreation Area. So it's important that folks uh, look at the rules and regulations on each state park. But South Dakota is a great state. And we love that uh, people hunt and fish in our state parks as well. So we always try to provide those opportunities, but there are exceptions to those rules.
1: Okay. So you are a hunter. So what's your why? Why do you hunt?
2: Um, I would say mentally it, it heals me. Um, that's why I hunt. And obviously I, I love having success and and, you know, the biggest buck I've ever shot with my bow, I remember laying in bed that night and just, I couldn't even fall asleep. I was so excited, you know? So that's, that would be my, my why is the fact that it it heals me. And it also is just such an enjoyment for me out there. Um, I love watching nature and it provides me um uh, a reason to get out there and watch nature. Um, And I'm not really a big camper too, but when it comes to hunting, I'll, A lot of times every year I go out West in the Badlands and I'll spend four nights out there in a tent and sleep without a shower. And I'm not really that type of person, but because of hunting, I do that. So, you know, the reason why is, is because I get to be on, in the outdoors. Uh, I get to enjoy it with friends I've met over the years that also enjoy hunting. Uh, I get to spend it out there with my dad. Um, There's just so many different reasons why I do it, but I can usually feel, my mental space if i haven't been hunting or fishing in a while that's for sure
0: how has your job and your profession helped you to become a better outdoorsman to hunt better to understand nature better anything like that
2: yeah absolutely i think there's two aspects to that um as for understanding other people when you're hunting around other people as well as um the environment Uh, as for the environment um we've done some things here at Lake Ponce Recreation Area to enhance enhance habitat. Uh, One of the big things that I love talking about is our three acre pollinator plot that we've done. Um, So we actually planted that in February of 22 and it was about six degrees and we had a thin layer of snow out on a area where that uh, we actually leased out to a farmer for agriculture because it made sense But then right when I began working here, we decided to kind of reclaim that. And so the game plan for that was to purchase a a batch of different mix of seeds, which included Forbes and grass species, but it's a Forbes uh, dominant stand, which kind of makes it a pollinator plot. So what Forbes is a broadleaf plant, and that goes for like your sunflowers and... uh, coreopsis and just there's about 20 some different species in there that I don't know off the top of my head but I usually have to look at it but those are though that was a project we did in the first year what we did was we just mowed it down the entire summer because a lot of those invader species invasive species such as thistle and wormwood stage they like to sprout up and that's what you call a pioneer species so if you get an open ground piece of ground a lot of uh, different plant species are just rushing to get into that area. So we mowed that down uh, right away and kept it mowed for basically the whole summer. And this last summer was the first uh, year we kind of let it go. And it was just magical. It was awesome. I was seeing pheasants in there. I was seeing deer in there. I was hunting over there. Um, it was a pretty awesome area. Um, another thing we did this last year was we have a pine stand and we there's a disease going around for um, uh, scotch pines. And so we had about 100 scotch pines that were dead falling onto each other and, and basically clogging up that entire stand. And so we went in there and we eliminated all that downfall, all the dead trees, and basically created more travel routes for wildlife. Um, another um, huge habitat enhancement that a lot of parks and a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, parks in the eastern side of the state uh, deal with is buckthorn. Buckthorn is an invasive species as well, as well, and it's an understory uh, shrub tree species, and it's really sharp. It's really nasty stuff, and and what it does is it basically uh, devours the entire understory of a of an old growth tree stand. And so a lot, a lot of times we get in there and we eliminate that, and you're creating more travel routes. And it's it's kind of a lot of times you'll notice that the rabbits and stuff really like being in there because it's so thick. Um, but you're not creating a next generation for tree species. So if you're looking at the long run of things, um, you're not doing the tree stand any any good. Um, and we've done all kinds of other stuff with chemical application, controlling invader species and whatnot. And uh, we, do, we are planning on, we're going to try and get a burn executed this spring. Um, and so we have a native uh, grass stand that is, is Half of it's really good big blue stem, which is a really good native uh, uh, grass species. Um, and then half of it is smooth brome. And smooth brome is also an invasive grass species that doesn't grow tall in length. And so it does not support nesting species such as songbirds, turkeys, and uh, pheasants. So those are certain things that we're working on in the park and there's always room for improvement and management of habitat can be quite the bugger sometimes because it doesn't always cooperate and I was going to mention too like the people factor you know I think when you're mainly a public land hunter you get frustrated at other folks but being in my position I promote folks to come out here and I love when folks are out here so it's given me a lot more patience as a hunter or a fisherman for other people because they're trying to enjoy the resource just as much as I am so that's been a cool um, uh, understanding with my new job and as an outdoorsman that you know People are awesome to meet, and they're just trying to experience the outdoors just as much as you are. So that's been been pretty awesome to realize through my career, too.
1: Sure. One of the things that, as I listen to you, uh, I think that people probably know, or maybe they don't, but hiking in the wintertime around those stands of where you have those wildflowers and, and the big blue stem you mentioned, not only are they beautiful in the wintertime, the colors of the browns and the reds and the things like that with some of the grasses in particular. So it's a, it's a a pretty walk and you get to enjoy the the sights. but they also do draw quite a uh, few birds that don't migrate. So they, those seed heads on those particular wildflowers and so forth are a, a food source. So, A lot of times people can see a lot, uh, especially birds. But uh, as you mentioned, that turkeys and uh, especially pheasants will use those grasses as well. But uh, um, you mentioned these conservation projects and not only there, say at Ponset, but just in general with uh, the fish game and parks. Are there any opportunities for people that are interested in those projects to uh, help out? on any of those conservation type projects that are available?
2: Absolutely. Obviously, starting with uh, seasonal employment, uh, I hire folks uh, on our maintenance side and I would say, you know, 95% of their job is is um, uh, beautifying the park for every weekend and every single day for our recreators and our campers and, and visitors in and, and general um, to maintain the park. But, being that, you know, we have these larger jobs, we use seasonals um, very strategically, and and we have to use them for for these types of jobs. Another aspect, too, is, you know, say if you're not necessarily looking for employment, uh, we hire general volunteers all over the state. Um, I have two folks right now that are just general volunteers, and they help us water trees. is kind of their main gig, because that's such a a process especially when you don't get any rain in the summer um and so as a general volunteer you know if if you were to sign up um online on game fisher parks website uh you can even put in there you know looking to be a general volunteer uh looking to help with habitat enhancements and that kind of thing um and anybody and everybody can usually um if they're interested in that can assist with those types of jobs depending on the manager obviously and and what the task is and if you need any basically an example would be chemical applicators license and, and or uh prescribed fire license or or anything like that but we have i you know i could pull up the numbers for our volunteers throughout the state but our volunteers are critical for our state parks uh because of their desire to help as well as um, the time that they're able to put in and, and help us with different project so being a volunteer is a, is a pretty cool gig in the state park and that would be one opportunity for folks to get involved with habitat uh, work
1: absolutely nate and katherine um, nate is Catherine's boyfriend they last year experimented a little bit with uh, creating a food plot on a tract of land that they hunt and mm-hmm. i read recently uh, an article about somebody took the time to prepare a food plot but then their wife also had an expanse of wildflowers and things like that. And the the idea behind the article was the guy said the, the deer walked right past the food plot and started eating the wildflowers. So I think that, did you mention that you do have a food plot on your yes. in pond yep. So what's yes, your experience with creating that and the success rate behind it?
2: Um, Not great. I'll be honest with you. That is a a flaw of mine. Um, We did a food plot both years that I've been here. And the first year, um, I think it was Milo. And that that worked okay. And I saw some activity in there, but it was nothing great. And then last year, we planted a, a corn food plot. And we planted it like right after rain. And then we didn't get rain for a month and a half. And then Uh, I did a terrible job at managing the uh, foxtail grass that was encroaching on the corn. And so it just kind of went kaput on us. Um, You know, managing these resources, you got to kind of learn from your mistakes and I've only been in my position for two years. And so I'm learning from a lot of different things that we're doing here and mistakes we're making and, and that kind of thing. And I know food plots are, are, um, used all throughout the state and, and help a lot of habitat and uh, food resources for for deer. And, you know, you got to remember, too, uh, different food plots might never be used unless, like, say we have another year, like last year with the winter, where, um, you know, the snow is covering n- mainly all the forage. And then you have food plots that have taller plants that deer and are able to, you know, eat off of. So, I I can't really speak to that a whole lot because I'm still learning. But I think that's important to for folks who are are doing these projects on their own is that you're going to experience challenges, but learn from them and adapt for the next year. So
0: definitely. I know our food plot this last summer, fall, uh, we didn't get it packed down good enough. So we just did not get very much growth at all. We had deer in there mostly at night, but there just was not a lot for them to eat.
1: Well, I could give you a little advice for both of you. Uh, a few years back, I started to dabble in brewing my own beer. And I decided that it might be uh, interesting to grow my own barley and go through uh, that process to prepare the the barley to for my own homebrew. And it was interesting to, to see how um, my barley patch was rated by the deer. They would eat the, the seed stems right down to uh, the base of it, and it uh, it appeared anyway that deer like barley. So there's just a little <laughs> bit of advice to you. Everyone likes you deer. Everybody likes deer, yeah. too. Yeah. It help We're talking about, uh, say, a food plot in, in a larger area, but what about like the micro level? What types of things do you have? Any advice for people that want to maybe um have something planted in their backyard maybe to draw birds just as an increased opportunity for bird watching are there any things that from your experiences there that people can apply to their to, to their yards
2: yeah um obviously no expert on this um but really it's it's what you're looking for is trees shrubs and plants you know um If you don't have anything that, you know, where they can, like I'm always seeing cardinals hanging out in small shrub uh, species. They like their thick tree, dense, dense trees and and that kind of thing. Um, Obviously you need to have, if you're looking for more birds, they need trees in order to have uh, that create their nest um, and things like that. And also food source is always important. Um, You know, it's important that, you know, at good earth is a fine example, uh, for their, uh, they have a big structure where they have all these different seeds for different birds and they put a chair right there for folks to sit down and look at the, look at those. And so obviously a food source is a huge part, uh, for attracting birds. Um, but, you know, having a well-rounded landscaping and, and backyard, I, I would assume that would really help out the process for bird watching and whatnot. But, uh, No, birds have been definitely a challenge from the day I stepped in at Good Earth and uh, still trying to identify and figure out what works for them and whatnot.
1: Sure. As part of your presentation outline, I I read that um, you don't necessarily hunt to harvest and that there are things that you can draw uh, basically to life. I've always thought that being in the outdoors, hunting is, is a microcosm of life. Uh, would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think hunting is
2: it's through and through is, is so fun. You know, I, I look at this PowerPoint of mine and, and slide 10 with uh, where I'm standing there with two buddies of mine. And I would say I probably would, and these are two friends that live in different states. And without the shared interest of hunting, I probably would not see them maybe ever. Um, and so that's an important, um, aspect for me is that uh, I get to experience these, um, these, uh, successes and, and failures along with the people I care about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, there's just so much to it that I think, you know, the average person doesn't understand, but it's hard to understand if you've never experienced that kind of stuff. And if you have roadblocks. um, when it comes to the outdoors it's, it's hard to experience that and it takes other folks to get you out and provide you with the tools um to enjoy those experiences out in the outdoors
1: so what would be the advice that you'd give somebody that wants to become active at the outdoors or start to hunt
2: sure um you know i i would say who do you know if you if you know someone that is 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 active in hunting and fishing or or hiking or bird watching or anything in the outdoors that you know it's not always just about the hunt or the fish or anything like that try and try and connect with them See, you know i would say majority of people love taking people out because what that is and how i look at it is that you know i almost have more fun watching someone experience their first time or their early um their early times in the outdoors because it is still thrilling for them, uh, for most people, you know? And so I would say majority of people would love to take a new person out into the outdoors and, and show them the experiences that they create out there. Um, but if say if you don't have anybody, you don't know anybody that is involved in the outdoors, uh, South Dakota game fishing parks is an awesome, awesome, um, asset for everyone in the public, especially in South Dakota, to find programs and and find the different, their niche. You know, a lot of people like are interested in one thing, but if you're interested in all things, the Game Fisher Parks has different programs throughout the state, either that being at the outdoor campuses in Sioux Falls or Rapid City, um, each individual park. Um, I do a shore fishing tournament every spring here at Lake Ponce Recreation Area, and every park has different programs. That we offer to people uh, to help them get interested in the outdoors and have the correct tools in order to do that themselves. So those are definitely options for people out there. Um, I would say that you know the main um, story for getting in the outdoors is is you just have to find someone uh, to help you get involved. But there is also this thing called YouTube nowadays as well, Um, and if, if YouTube is a great resource for people too. You know, for me. Um, I never grew up ice fishing, um, and I went to school at SDSU and now that I live up here, it's kind of one of those things I, I do in the winter time, even though it's so frustrating to me sometimes, but I use YouTube a lot to help me learn how to ice fish. I, I never really had anybody to teach me. My dad doesn't like the ice. And so I did that all on my own. And I think that's a good example of, of someone who has no idea what they're doing, um, and using YouTube as a resource. So.
0: What are some of those programs, whether you've mentioned them already or something else that you've thought about through game fishing parks that can assist people to become active in the outdoors?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, for, for me, um, I, I started a shore fishing tournament last year. Uh, I hold it in May because usually shore fishing – and that's an important part about programs is you got to find the right times when success rate is is probably going to be your highest. And so for us, shore fishing in the springtime, when walleye and a lot of the fish are cruising the shorelines, really active searching for bait. Um, they're they're much more hungrier that time of year. So um, and I remember growing up. Uh, going to Coval Lake and Sioux Falls, uh, doing uh, shore fishing tournaments there. And then there was also a shore fishing tournament at Lake Alvin uh, when I was growing up as well. And I don't remember having more fun than doing that. And the beauty of that is a shore fishing tournament is that, you know, everyone is on the same playing field. You're on the same shore. Uh, you, you know, you're not in a boat going to specific areas where a bite might be hotter than a different area. And so I created that. And that was a fun Um, experience. I had prizes for folks. I had a Shields $50 gift card um, and I had a weight scale. And so, you know, that weight scale is a super cool thing for the younger generation to look at and they get to see how, you know, big their fish weighs and and that kind of thing. So that's a cool, um, and I'm planning on doing that this May as well. And you can find that information on Lake Ponset Recreation Area Facebook page uh, as it comes up here in May. Um, you know, and other programs that get people involved, obviously we have hunter safety that's usually taught at the outdoor campus as well as the Waterdown, Watertown Game Fish and Parks office. There's also a list of different hunter safety uh, programs on our website, uh, South Dakota Game Fish and Parks, that you'll be able to look at depending on where you live and that kind of thing. Um, and it, really the programs are endless, a huge pillar in our uh, for Gamefisher Parks is is programming. And one of our goals is to, you know, enrich the lives in the outdoors for for folks. So that's the beauty of South Dakota. We have such a great outdoor heritage and most parks have programs. You can find them either on their individual Facebook pages or you can go on uh, South Dakota Game Fish and Parks and look at our events calendar. And you can also see the variety of different opportunities that we have outside too. So, you know, another thing too, if you're not involved with hunting or fishing, We have all kinds of different hikes a lot of parks just did a first day hike on january 1st and so that's first day is kind of a national wide um program for folks to basically encourage people to get outside and uh enjoy even though it's cold and snowy and that kind of thing you can still get outside so
1: Okay, is there if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, Isaac? Is there contact information specifically if they wanted to find something out about Lake Ponset Recreation Area, or um, what, what's your contact information?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our office uh, phone number is six zero five nine eight three five zero eight five, and it's just a one man show for me in the winter time. Um, and so, you know, leaving a message is 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 ideal if i don't pick up the phone uh summertime obviously we are in the office a lot more with uh, as busyness increases Uh, but another i have an email uh you can uh email me at lake ponset Uh, ponset is spelled p-o-i-n-s-e-t-t at state dot sd like south dakota dot u.s
1: and if somebody was interested in volunteering not only maybe at Lake Ponset, but maybe a a different recreation area or a state park. What's the process for somebody to maybe contact or communicate with uh, the Game Fish and Parks uh, to do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can either contact me personally, and I can help folks through the process with that, or you can basically go into Google and type in South Dakota Game Fish and Parks Volunteers, and that will kind of bring up a volunteer with us uh, website, and then a lot of the instructions on how to submit an application for to be a volunteer um, is on there. And then you kind of get to pr- pick your uh, preference on which park you'd like to be at. Um, and then we also uh, what just came out too, you know, folks, if, if you're not avid outdoorsman and, and if you're looking to teach, you know, uh, we actually have volunteer naturalists uh, and a naturalist is basically someone who gives programs and, uh, um, you know, Jen Stahl from Good Earth. She is a naturalist. So a a naturalist basically gives programs about anything and everything, and it's outdoor education. So uh, there's a variety of different volunteer opportunities, and they should be listed on South Dakota Game Fish and Parks website. And so that's kind of how you go with that.
1: Sure, and just like your presentation of Beyond the Hunt at Good Earth, there are um, programs that are, I think, the first Thursday maybe of every month. Uh, in the evening, there are talks yep. that are given, and then, again, that FISH program uh, is during the day, correct? Yes, yep. Okay, so if the, somebody's interested in uh, a listing of what those programs are, I think they can go to the Good Earth um, State Park website, and they are listed there and also part of their newsletter that they
2: yes. put forth. absolutely,
1: yep. Okay, well, Isaac, thank you for taking the time to, to share your knowledge and expertise with us. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome experience. Well, thank you, Isaac. And and I just want to remind our listeners that uh, we really would like some feedback. Uh, and if, if you have the time to do that, you can email us at unbrokenarrowspodcast at gmail.com. There's also a link on our website. Which is unbrokenarrowspodcast.com. dot com, and this is I just want to to talk about the fact that we are getting into uh, winter. We just had a very major snowfall here uh, over the last couple of days, and the weather is supposed to changed dramatically. It's supposed to be highs of single digits or even below zero. And so this time of year, it might be difficult to get out. And sometimes that's when mental health issues creep up and arise. So if you or someone you know is in crisis or thinking of suicide, please call the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988. There are resources there that are available for you uh, to help. So to all our listeners, take some time to get outside, get outdoors, and experience its healing powers. With that, for Catherine and myself, until next time.